Hey there, Deviants. Welcome to a special After Hours recording of Dark and Devious. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Dark and Devious. This is Chris here, and I have such a treat for all of you. Um, Patrick is actually on vacation this week, so we are giving him the week off to do that. And I have a very, very special guest here, a Dark and Devious super fan, my dear friend, Hannah Spade. Hannah, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> I am always delighted when we work together and I I hear that you're like listening to the podcast or like if I hear you laughing about something specific that we said uh, or like when we follow up on on stuff. Uh, it's so much fun. So um, why don't you let uh, the audience know a little bit about you, whatever you'd like to share, uh, maybe why you're interested in true crime? Okay, yeah. Um, first of all, I am definitely a big fan. Um, I definitely call myself a deviant. So... <laughs> I'm super excited to be on the show. I'm glad that you asked me to stand in for Patrick, even though we love and miss him. Yes. Um, I have always loved things that are morbid. So that's what's drawn me into true crime. Um, and I think specifically with your guys' podcast, I enjoy you so much as a person and the way you talk about things. Um, and so that has always drawn me in as well. Um, yeah. Music to my ears. <laughs> <laughs> I am a coworker of Chris's, um, and I also am a singer. So I have a job and I have a hobby slash career. Um, yes, so feel free to plug your stuff. Where can we <laughs> listen to you? Because you, I, I think you are on Spotify, aren't you? I am on Spotify. Yes, um, you can stream me almost anywhere. Um, my artist name is Nana J. And yeah, I don't want to take up too much time with that, though. I'm I'm more excited to get into what we're talking about this evening. Yes. Ooh, after hours. <laughs> yes, I know it's great because we are actually recording uh, like late in the evening uh, after Hannah just got done with work. I worked super early today, so <laughs> I had the benefit of taking a, a small nap after I got done with work. Um, but then I was like wrapping up my, what I was writing for today too. So, um, I, it wasn't all, all play this evening, <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, um, I was going to ask too, do you have a, like an absolute favorite 
like mystery or a true crime case that, you know, solved or unsolved? Is there something that is a, a favorite case of yours? You know, I think I am, I am always drawn, first of all, into like the mythical. So like, you know, um, the, what is it? Uh, Bloody Mary or Ooh, no. yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like those kinds of things. I think growing up, that was always my favorite because I just love the thrill of being scared. So like, I love that. Locking myself in a bathroom and trying to torture myself to maybe see something that could kill me was a thrill. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so funny with those things. Like we all know, like there's a grain of, of like, of like, there's no way that this is real. But then there's like a, like a small part of you is like, but what if it is? Yes, and exactly. that, uh, yeah, it's so funny that we do that to ourselves. But totally, yeah, um, that is really cool when there's a supernatural element or like an urban legend element to a case. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, but as far as like um, actual true crime cases, I think my favorites are just ones that I haven't heard of and like that could be any right like <laughs> I, I did dive into a John Wayne Gacy series one time but even though it was terrible and terrifying and extremely morbid I think it's just insanity and I like being able to like learn about those things I think not only because you get to see what like what other people saw about those people right like they were just normal folks you know having barbecues and and you know entertaining their neighbors and also murdering innocent lives like it's insanity you know I all I also like to believe that by learning about these cases um I'll be more prepared within my own life or like be able to protect somebody you know I don't know that's like the you know the the heroin in me but right um, no yeah. I totally get that I think that is fascinating with like oh if I if I learn about this stuff then maybe I can spot it if I see it really happening um uh, I don't know I, it's funny when when Patrick and I were thinking of what to name the podcast like when we were first kind of putting it together we were we were like spitballing names and one of them was, and like, of course you had to have like a tagline or something to go with it. And one of the ones that we thought of was, was suspicion and like, Ooh. which I think already exists. I, I, I think that's why we didn't choose that one. Uh, but it, yeah. but it was like, we kind of wanted there to be like, have a healthy dose of suspicion in your life, you know, yes, look yes. out for those, those crazy folks out there that might be one of these baddies. Yeah. But... yeah. You can't trust anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but also don't be so mistrustful that you never trust anybody because then that, that makes its own problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Life's no fun without trusting folks. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> some a healthy dose of mistrust yes yes <laughs> well i am so glad to introduce uh one of my favorite deviants uh to our audience and i i hope that uh there'll be maybe another opportunity for you to come back or have you as a guest on the show again this will i have a feeling this will be really fun 
I would love to. I'm already having the, uh, the time of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah's lived a simple life. <laughs> this is her first time using a computer. <laughs> yes. Oh. Well, since um, since today we're doing a mini-sode, uh, why don't we get right down to it then? So, Okay. So with so much in the news uh, coming out of Russia lately, like the ongoing war with Ukraine, uh, the strange and unexplained deaths of high profile people who are like oligarchs and oil executives and their family members. Uh, And then, of course, just recently in the news, um, the former the last former president of the Soviet Union passed away. Mikhail Gorbachev uh, at the age of 91. So with all of these Russia stories floating about, I thought it would be interesting to check out some old school Russian true crime with the assassination of one of the founders of the Russian revolution, Leon Trotsky. Okay. So Trotsky became a major figure in the early days of communist rule in Russia, but shortly after his rise to power, he found himself on the outs with the ruling regime and was marked for death by his biggest rival within the Communist Party. Now, Leon Trotsky was not his real name. He was born Lev Davidovich Bronstein, on November 7th, 1879 in Yanovka, Ukraine. I'm going to have some real times with these Russian names. Good luck. <laughs> yes, this is going to this is going to be great. Uh, so uh, and this is when Ukraine was part of Russia of like the Russian Empire, which was incredibly vast. Uh, so, and actually the name Ukraine comes from the Russian word for border or frontier. Mm. So it kind of like a general translation is like borderland. Mm. So where the name comes from. So some cool trivia for you. Yes. Uh, and also kind of helps us understand where some of this current conflict comes from, which I think is it is kind of interesting. I mean, I don't think we really spent a lot of time on Russian history in, right, right. in school. Um, right. Russia is bad. That's, I think, what I heard. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's like the, the, the main thrust of what we get taught in school. Um, yeah. But it's way more complex than that. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. Like there's no black and white when it comes to like good countries and bad countries. <laughs> Shocker. Yes. So um, so the Bronsteins, they were Jewish farmers and they did very well for themselves. So they were um, they were pretty well-to-do people in their community. And they were able to send their son to school in Odessa. Uh, and in and then later in 1896, so when he was more of like teenage years, um, he finished his schooling in uh, Nikolaev, Ukraine, which is where he first became fascinated with Marxism. Hmm. Uh, now, I know for the... the the dumbed down version of this uh, is 
of like what Marxism is, if mm-hmm. if you just happen to not know. Um, it talks a lot about class struggle and uh, like an economy being based on cooperative ownership and satisfying human needs rather than private profits. So that's like the super, super like basic <laughs> explanation. Uh, it's funny because I started to to read into like I I looked at like the Wikipedia page for Marxism and I was like my eyes started to cross. <laughs> yes. Uh I'm like this is bringing me back to my college days of when I was doing like critical theory stuff. And I'm like cool, I don't remember any of this at all. Mhm. Yeah, I remember googling Marxism like a few years ago. You know, when everything was like oh, we, everybody wants to be a socialist or a communist or whatever, you know, all these accusation, uh, uh, accusations from the right. And I was just like astounded. I was like, this is like going in circles for me. So definitely right. love the, the dumb down version. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because like when, when you distill it down, it's like, it sounds really nice. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, putting people's human needs before like profits of like for individuals like okay that doesn't (laughs) so bad I get it that things eventually break down down the road but right that's a whole other discussion here that's another day (laughs) yeah well another episode perhaps um so now um at this point in time marxism would have been especially attractive because of the monarchical system set up at the time so russia was ruled by a czar um, who had total power Uh, so he commanded the military he owned a lot of the land in the country uh and um he even had a lot of control over like the church so like Mm. he had the big three like he had the military behind him he had like vast uh, land holdings and then he also even had the the backing of the church so okay. uh, that's pretty much about as close to ultimate power as he, as it gets right so was he considered dictator i mean when you're a, <laughs> where where does king <laughs> end and dictator begin you know yeah. I mean, okay that's that's hard to say yeah yeah um so and and so at this time, too, the workers in society, though, they were doing all the hard work and they were getting very little for their efforts. So they weren't given a lot a lot of pay. Um, oftentimes they were going hungry. And surprise, surprise, when the working class gets treated like crap by the aristocracy. Take two. <laughs> aristocracy. <laughs> what the hell was that (laughs) i might even just have to leave that in because it's too funny so funny oh my god and i'm like yeah because chris knows language better than i do so (laughs) and it's funny it's one of those moments where like you see a a word written out and you're like i'm not gonna screw this up and then it does not come out the way you want it to right right so when the aristocracy no why does it keep coming out wrong aristocracy there we go putting the wrong emphasis on (laughs) 
All yeah. right, we're gonna do that. So when the aristocracy, um, <laughs> uh, so when they're not treating the working class well, um, they're gonna rise up against them. Right. So now. As a young adult, it was actually a pretty young woman that first got Trotsky into Marxism. And mm. her name is Alexandra Sokolovsk- Sokolovskaya. Mm-hmm. So if you just do the accent, you'll get it. You, you just, Every time. And even if you don't get it, it'll sound like you got it. <laughs> Sokolovskaya. There we go. Moose and squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, I kind of like recording after hours. This is fun. yes, yeah. and I and like my background is like super dark, so it's yeah. like ooh, super yeah, like dark. And and here it's funny because I have a really bright background. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. <laughs> so Alexandra Sokolovskaya, who um, later became his first wife, okay. um, she was the one who kind of got him interested in Marxism. Um, so he, uh, around this time, he helped organize the South Russian Workers Union in 1897. And he did that by printing and distributing revolutionary pamphlets to industrial workers and students. So here he was spreading the word about how they need to take back their power and rise up. Right. So in January of the following year, though, authorities weren't into that whole thing. So he and about 200 others were arrested for his activities. And he was held in prison for two years while he awaited trial. Like, we think our justice system is slow. (laughs) How about 19th century Russian imperial courts? I can't even imagine. They were like, shut it down. Yeah. Yeah. Be like, all of these people, throw them all in prison. We'll we'll sort them out later. We'll sort them out over the next two years. Yikes. So yeah, he waited for his trial for two years. And in 1899, uh, while he was in prison in Moscow, uh, Alexandra and him got married. Uh, which I think is weird that they would let him get married like from prison. Oh yeah, it, hmm. it's like <laughs> you know maybe it just it was just an occasion to um, you know to actually smile while you're in prison. It's like <laughs> yeah, and you're now husband and wife. You may now return to your cell. <laughs> I mean, but that's probably not too far off from yeah, real not- marriages and. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like they were like super, you know, man and woman are equal at this time. Either. Okay. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> probably, probably not a lot of equality happening. Maybe a little bit here and there, but right. probably not on any large scale. Yeah. Um. So the following year after he got married while he was in prison in 1900, he, well, he finally got his sentence. So he, he was sentenced to four years in exile in Siberia. Mm. Isn't, that, isn't that fun? Yeah, you know, it's, just, it's really like being sent on a dream vacation. Truly, truly. Uh, and his wife must have been thrilled. 
Um, so Alexandra was allowed to follow her husband and they lived there in the, um, the Lake Baikal region of Siberia. And uh, the two of them or had two daughters. Um, so it's, it's weird. It's the like, exile? Get, yeah. So like, I imagine it's like, okay, well, cool. We're sending you to Siberia, but I guess you're not in a prison anymore. Like, I guess you're free to kind of roam around, but I imagine they're like, well, you're not coming back here to civilization right? until we say like, you can. Isolation in Siberia, I feel like, wouldn't be too far out from prison either. Yeah. Right? Well, like, and I wonder if they just hope when they send people out there that they'll just die in the elements. Right. Yeah, like, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. um, animals, the weather, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, Siberia, known for its very temperate climate. And palm trees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so while while they were in exile, um, Trotsky had lots of time to study philosophy and further deepened his belief that the monarchy needed to be overthrown in order to improve the lives of workers. So that's the dangerous part. Like you go send them off to exile. They got nothing but time. <laughs> right, right. And to stew. And they're also mad at you. So. Yeah. So um, what I think is really funny is how this ends here is in 1902, Trotsky, um, at the, actually at the insistence of his wife, escaped Siberia hidden in a load of hay on a wagon. <laughs> gosh it's it's like some cartoon stuff right there where it's just like no one's gonna check the the hay on this wagon and that makes me wonder like how long did he stay hidden in that hay like how long was (laughs) (laughs) here's a water bottle and like one change of clothes like good luck you can you can pee yourself all the way to Moscow. <laughs> Somehow I imagined it was maybe a little bit different from that, but only slightly. Yeah, right. Um, so after his escape from Siberia around 1902 to 1903, he began using his new chosen surname of Trotsky. So this is um, allegedly it. His chosen name was from a uh one of his jailers when he was held in prison in odessa so i that's interesting that he picked up on that thread and like ran with it later on i mean honestly it's a good it's a catchy name yeah and convenient too i mean you know that there's another human being out there that has that same last name so it's likely that you could be relatives or something you know right i mean plus if you want to make it in politics you've got to have a good name i mean (laughs) it's it's like it's like marilyn monroe judy garland like those were chosen names after the fact they're flashy names right right exactly good for him yeah (laughs) So um, he moved to London and began writing for a revolutionary newspaper. So I get it, you know, 
I met, it was like a Russian language publication talking about Russian politics, philosophy, all that kind of stuff. So in 1902, he met the woman who would become his second wife. And her name is Natalia Sadova. Now, I what I don't understand, like, what happens with his first wife if, like, is she just out of the picture? Like, because at this point, she's still alive because I knew right. that much. With his two children. But I, I guess they must have gone their separate ways at some point. Right. Well, she also was, like, a big believer in, like, what he was doing. So she probably was willing to just be, like, you know what, like sacrifice our relationship for the cause. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could totally see that. And go make a change and like make a difference. Like people will listen to you type of thing. Mm -hmm. And she probably just was willing to sacrifice whatever for the cause, you know? Yeah, I would not be surprised if that was the case. Yeah. Um, So after Trotsky meets Natalia Sadova, um, they actually married the following year. Also, I mean, I guess people didn't necessarily live as long back then. So it was like, I guess if you click, you just get married the next year. Very committal. (laughs) So yeah, they, they married the following year. And then like in the, and then um, several years later, they had two sons together. Um, In the following years from there, Trotsky became heavily involved in the organization of the Social Democratic Party, uh, which was spearheaded by Vladimir Lenin. So this is where he starts to get involved with um, the party, the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, um, but there were factions as to how the party should be structured. So, of course, with these things there's bound to be people who have different ideas on how things should run. And this is no, uh, this is no different. So uh, Lenin's side argued that there should be kind of a small party of professional revolutionaries leading a large contingent of non-party supporters. So kind of like a top-down approach, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. so that there'd be like a small group of leaders making all the like, kind of calling all the shots and then like all of the the nobodies at the bottom just following orders right blindly (laughs) and um and then the other side was arguing for kind of a larger more democratic organization of supporters so it sounds like maybe a little bit more say in how things go from more people right I can see the advantage of both. I feel like when you have fewer people running the show, it's a little bit easier to come to a consensus Mm -hmm. because if you get a lot of people putting in a lot of ideas, everyone's like, you know, well, I want, I think we should have salami at the next meeting. And it's like, no, I think we should have roast beef at the next meeting. And then suddenly you've got... 50 different options for what to serve at the next communist meeting and we're going nowhere yeah and you're going broke because like meat is not cheap (laughs) (laughs) wasn't then and and still the same now (laughs) so um 
so while this whole kind of debate was going on, Trotsky was kind of trying to walk the tightrope between the groups and mediate, um, which earned him scorn from both sides. So, you know, I it's it's kind of funny how it's like you you think like oh good somebody who wants to make compromise like would be a good you know healthy person to listen to, but instead like everybody got pissed at Trotsky at some point or another because uh, you know he was making the point for the other side sometimes I'm sure so like his like evil villain like this is when he turned (laughs) (laughs) so the majority seemed to side with Lenin after all he was kind of the firebrand the he he was the brand (laughs) of the communist movement so uh and this also included uh a young joseph stalin uh also sided with lenin Hmm. and stalin saw trotsky's kind of neutral position as being disloyal Um, and that is something that stalin would not soon forget now on January 22nd, 19, I, I wrote 1995, but that's definitely not it. That was definitely a typo. Uh, I believe that was 1905. Okay. Uh, unarmed demonstrators were killed by the Imperial Guard in an event that went down in history as Bloody Sunday. And, and I also wonder if that's the what the U2 song is about. So right. Bono, if you're listening, feel free to chime in on that one. Right. We need we need confirmation. Right. <laughs> Bono, could your people please reach out to us yeah. and confirm that for us? Yes. And also sign me. Thank you. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes. <laughs> sign hannah and then like pick us up for like national syndication yeah that'd be great that'd be cool (laughs) so after a bloody sunday trotsky returned to russia to help support the uprisings against the Tsar. Um, but his rebellion was crushed and he was again arrested and sent back to siberia this guy just cannot get enough of siberia he loves it he loves he loves it so freaking much. <laughs> uh, now, in January of 1907, he escaped prison and traveled to Europe, where he continued to write for revolutionary journals. How do you just like escape a like a prison in Siberia? I mean, was it just basically? Uh, like a straw shack and it's like well if he gets out he gets out literally oh my god he just like sauntered out he was like this is not my vibe anymore so I'm gonna go back to London I'm totally not vibing with this whole Siberian prison thing so if you could just like let me out that'd be great yeah and the stripes aren't really my looks yeah I'm you know, they make me look fat. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So uh, 
so here he is. He's he's skipping around Europe, writing for these revolutionary journals. And in February of 1917, the reign of Tsar Nicholas II was ended. And once again, Trotsky returned to Russia. So I'm sure he's thinking like, woo, the monarchy is dead. Like, right. let's see what we can build from this. Yeah. Uh, but it's not that easy. Now, how much you want to bet he gets sent back to Siberia at some point? Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, <laughs> he's really trying his luck going back to Russia a third time. Like, <laughs> I don't know you by now. My goodness. <laughs> so, uh when he returned, though, he immediately started criticizing the provisional government, calling it ineffective. So the new prime minister, Alexander Kerensky, was no doubt annoyed by this and had him arrested. Oh, my gosh. And how did they even hear it? Like, what is he journaling out there, too? Is that I'm, Yeah, I imagine he's probably like printing his opinions in like newspapers and stuff like that so yelling in the streets as if, <laughs> as if Russian cops are just walking around everywhere <laughs> <laughs> now um at least this time while he was in jail uh he became a member of the Bolshevik party which was kind of like the um the the, the leading party at the time and uh and, and he was released soon after that. So it's like, okay, at least you're one of us. We'll, we'll let you out for now. Right, slap on the wrist. Yeah. Time. Okay. I get, this is definitely like a case of like, if you can't beat them, join them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So by November of that year, though, that whole provisional government hadn't really worked out and uh, the government was overthrown so it's the folks were like this whole provisional government really isn't my vibe yeah. <laughs> they were like maybe we could like overthrow them yeah they're like do over like there's just like a button that they press like okay do over yes let's see what really. the next one is oh my gosh <laughs> Spin the wheel of fortune. Yes. Let's <laughs> see what kind of government you get. <laughs> okay. So the folks were totally not feeling the vibe of that provisional government. So here we go. We've got Vladimir Lenin. He's the new guy in charge. And um, Trotsky actually gets a pretty important position out of the deal when Lenin takes the reins. And he is the new commissar for foreign affairs. And his first big task was making peace with the Germans while World War I was going on. So in 1917, uh, Russia drops out of World War I because of the whole upset with the monarchy being destroyed, basically. Uh, and so they've got to like they've got to uh, like reestablish themselves kind of internationally as with like their with international relations mm -hmm. right and, before they make any rash decisions yeah 
or, or before they just like continue throwing themselves at this war effort so right. um now his first big task is making the making peace with the germans now trotsky wanted to take the kind of wait and see approach because he kind of wanted to see if the allies were going to defeat the germans and then like kind of take up a position there after uh Mm. but uh lenin had a different approach he just really wanted the whole thing settled right away so that they could get to the task at hand of building a communist government in russia so it's kind of like trotsky is kind of like looking at the big picture um trying to get the best footing whereas lenin is like no 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 don't don't mess with that right now i just need this done right like we gotta focus on building a communist nation here mm-hmm. uh, and we can't he's do still that. kind of like playing the middle like yeah. how he was when they were trying to make decisions earlier he's still kind of like your way is a little too extreme and i'm gonna try and like you know stay on that fence right which is I mean, honestly, that's kind of how things normally get done in politics Mm -hmm. is like you have to have that person who's willing to compromise and and like see things from both point of views. Um, So like I think that that is an admirable quality to have. But when you're dealing with these personalities, I mean, it ends up just getting him nothing but trouble. Right. And especially because he's so opinionated too. So it's like, mm-hmm. it is surprising that he would be like, okay, let's try and make a smart decision, even though he believes very strongly in the things he believes in. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, I know a thing or two, but I'm going to hear you out. Right. Um, so eventually, the disagreement with Lenin caused Trotsky to just eventually resign from his post so eventually he's just like hey I'm gonna just back away from this position and like if you want to install somebody who's just gonna do exactly what you say then that's your right as leader right um but Trotsky did land himself in a new post where he found himself doing very well now uh Lenin appointed him as the leader of the Red Army, which was was basically the the Bolsheviks uh, military force. And they fought against the White Army who were opposed to the Bolsheviks. And this was in the Russian Civil War. So this is part of the whole process of like, hey, Russia's out of World War One. But now we've got all this infighting within our own country. And so there's the Red Army and the White Army. And uh, and Trotsky is, is appointed leader of the Red Army. And he was very successful in this position. And he directed campaigns on as many as 16 fronts at the same mm-hmm. time. Wow. Could you imagine being like, okay, you have to look it at 16 different directions all at once and make decisions. Mm-mm-mm. That's a lot. That is insane. I mean, and it just shows you how big Russia was at the time. I mean, it's still huge, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it incorporated. I mean, we think of 
Like there's probably like a dozen other countries that exist today, like fully formed countries that were within the borders of the former Russian empire. Right, right. And like goes to show how intelligent this man is. I mean, not only has he escaped from Russia multiple times. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let, all let's, that, but like the the the, the hay uh, escape was didn't didn't take a rocket science. True, scientist. true. You know, but he, I mean, he's making like things happen for these sixteen different fronts and like succeeding. I mean, that goes. That's that's pretty intense. Yeah, I mean, he's playing like six dimensional chess here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so yeah, he really found his calling there leading the Red Army. And in 1920, Trotsky's Red Army was victorious and he became a central committee member in the Communist Party, effectively becoming Lenin's number two guy. Wow. But as, uh, as peacetime set in, Lenin and Trotsky disagreed over how trade unions should be handled by the government and this is when Stalin really swooped in and cozied up to Lenin and his point of view to gain favor. So here it's like these two guys, it seems like they've been through a lot together. They haven't always agreed on everything, but they still ended up working together in various capacities, whether, you know, it was in the initial job that he was assigned or you know, if he got reassigned to do something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it seems like Trotsky is one to at least be willing to um, make his case for another point of view. Whereas it sounds like Stalin is just seeing an opportunity to be like, man, if I kiss this guy's ass, I could be the next one in line here. Right. And, and so he's willing to just go along with anything that Lenin says in order to get a, a better spot in right. line, basically. Um, so Trotsky refused to budge on his position and Lenin feared that the conflict could break the party into factions. So Trotsky did eventually withdraw his opposition, but his political capital had been spent on the dispute. And in 1922, Lenin suffered a stroke. And so now with Lenin's health being a factor, like time is ticking on finding like who's going to take the reins when Lenin can't do it anymore. Right. Now... Trotsky seemed to be the logical choice among the rank and file members of the party, but Stalin was calculated and shored up support among the opposition and also appointed his own supporters in key positions. So this was really like a worst case scenario for Trotsky because before Lenin had his stroke, um, Stalin got this like, job like he was appointed to this job that didn't like it didn't seem like it was such a big deal but the the position that he was in allowed him to basically put 
his own allies in key other places. Uh, uh, so uh. it's like he got to kind of build his little army of support, and then before Within, you know it, yeah, it, yeah, all all of the all of the people he's surrounded with are supporters of him, and then no, and like nobody who likes Trotsky is in a position of power. So right, right. Oh, uh, what a power move! Dang, yeah, like super like sneaky calculating oh, yeah. like that's just who he was even before he became like the nightmare of a leader that he was right plotting his way through life mm -hmm. now over the next couple of years lenin's health continued to decline and after a third stroke he died on january 21st 1924 and uh, Stalin continued to push Trotsky to the fringes of government and then finally out of the country altogether. Again, he's like, be like, he's go. in Siberia again. <laughs> yeah, like push you. Like, he, like <laughs> I just imagine him with like a giant poking stick, be like, you're too close. Yeah. Another step back, another step. Yeah. So in 1927, he was expelled to like a remote region of kazakhstan so he's he's really getting to see the 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 empire um he's moving his way around but then he was banned from the soviet union entirely in 1929 so he's, just because just because i think I, mm. I think he just really disagreed with him that much mm. and saw and definitely saw him as a threat yeah i mean i think in the years kind of after they they um kind of talked down on on like what a great leader Trotsky had been during the revolution like they did a little bit of historical revision um but I'm sure he probably knew be like this guy commanded an army very effectively and if he gets enough supporters he could be a threat to my power yeah that's true so over the next several years, Trotsky bounced around um, several different countries before finally settling in Mexico City, which is about as far away from Moscow as you can imagine. Now, he continued to write and criticize Stalin's government from exile. And over the next decade, Stalin conducted political purges where those deemed enemies of the state were sent to gulags or executed. And in fact, Trotsky's first wife was likely a victim of this as she disappeared in 1935. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and it's crazy because Russia was so, is, was and is so vast and the, the government's power is so absolute. They can make you disappear and no one will ever find you. Right. And, yeah. And nobody's going to, ask questions nobody's going to speak up because those people You're who ask, yeah they would they could be next yeah and that's, that's super terrifying to think mm -hmm. of a society of fear like that oh yeah so during this period stalin named trotsky an enemy of the people and in 1937 16 of his allies were charged with treason they were all found guilty and executed. From there, Stalin set his sights on Trotsky himself, even from half a world away. 
Wow. So now we get to the juicy part. He is obsessed with this guy. It's like, Solon, <laughs> why are you so obsessed with me? Literally. It's like you love me or something. <laughs> right? I I want to see that fan fiction, like the where Stalin is actually like super obsessed with Trotsky because he he's in love with him. I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> so Trotsky continued to criticize Stalin from afar, though he knew he had a target on his back. From Mexico, though, for several years, he enjoyed the support and company of American and Mexican supporters. He even had an affair with celebrated painter Frida Kahlo. Like, wow, right? And then he like hung out with Diego Rivera. So here he's like hanging out with like the most uh, incredible artistic figures in Mexico at this time. Who's who? Wow. Now, meanwhile a show trial for treason was conducted in the Soviet Union and Trotsky was condemned to death. So they basically like put him on trial without him actually even being there to defend himself. Classic Russia. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then of course they're like, well, he is so dead. Like, (laughs) I don't know when or how, but he is so dead. You're done. (laughs) You're dead. Now, on May 24th of 1940, 20 gunmen with orders from Stalin stormed Trotsky's compound and sprayed it with bullets. Like, they they must have had a ton of weapons on them, especially when you've got 20 guys shooting at the same time. Uh, I'm sure they're like, well, we just shoot enough bullets at him. One of them is bound to hit, right? Right. Um. But uh, somehow they missed their target and they were forced to retreat by his bodyguards. Oh my God. The security team uh, in the wake of that assassination attempt figured that the next attempt might come from a bomb. And so what they did was they started reinforcing this compound. They... They built the walls higher. They built watchtowers. They bricked up windows. Um, So he was much safer, but his home had become both a fortress and a prison. Mm -hmm. Now, over the next three months, Trotsky waited for, uh, for the hammer to fall. And on August 20th, 1940, his end came from an unexpected source. So it's Frida Kahlo. <laughs> oh my gosh, would that not be just crazy? It was, all, it was all a con. She pulls oh off God. her mask and she's Joseph Stalin underneath. Oh my God. <laughs> a la Scooby Doo style. It oh my was... gosh, yes. It's like, meanwhile, it's like <laughs> meanwhile, like back in Russia, there's just like uh like a scarecrow that's running <laughs> Russia that like looks like Stalin. It's got the mustache on it. <laughs> they were none the wiser. Yeah, they didn't even notice the difference. <laughs> meanwhile, Stalin's been obsessed with Trotsky. Yes, and banging. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, they've been having sex this whole time. <laughs> now, um, and well, okay, so I also have to mention this because they mention it in, in several of the articles that I read that uh, they, they describe it like he was in his yard feeding his pet rabbits. Aww. It's just kind of an adorable, it's like, almost like, um, I don't know, I just imagine like, you know, those like softer scenes from The Godfather where, you know, the like more, the touching moments. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine it's kind of like that. Yeah, like running in the garden with your grandson. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, Damn it. Um, no, as, at least as far as I know, none of the rabbits were hurt during this oh. this whole thing. So it, they were set it, free. Yeah. <laughs> and and that and that rabbit later became the president of Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> So who did it? Uh, so who did it was so there was a man known to Trotsky as Frank Jackson, and it's weird. It's spelled J A C S O N, but I'm assuming mm-hmm. it's Jackson. That's how I'm going to mm-hmm. say it. Uh, now, and he had been a frequent visitor at at Trotsky's home. Now, Frank was the boyfriend of an American confidant of Trotsky, and her name was Sylvia Agalov. Uh, now he was welcomed to the home as part of the inner circle. So this was somebody who was a, an everyday visitor and was already, like I said, in the inner circle. Mm-hmm. But on that sunny August day, Jackson carried with him a rain jacket. Now, when Trotsky ushered his guest into his study, Jackson removed a short-handled pickaxe from the coat and buried it in the front of Trotsky's skull. Holy crap. Right? This is some, like, personal bullshit here. Literally. Now, Trotsky miraculously was able to fight off his attacker and uh, with the aid of his bodyguards. And he surprisingly urged his security team to not kill his attacker. And basically he was like, he needs to talk. Like he need, we need to find out why he did this. Right. Uh, and that's crazy. He's like, I imagine it's like the pickaxe is still stuck in his head at this moment <laughs> where he's like, like, no, don't hurt him. Like we need to find out. Like, meanwhile, he's got like yeah. a pickaxe in his skull. Oh my God. Uh, now both men were taken to the hospital. I mean, obviously they like beat the crap out of him. Right. Uh, so they, he had to be hospitalized too. Um, so uh, they were both taken to the hospital and for a, at least a little while, Trotsky seemed to be doing well after emergency surgery, but his condition took a turn, a sudden turn for the worse. And the following day on August 21st, 1940, he slipped into a coma and died mm. and he was 60 years old. Wow. So that, I mean, for the time he was getting up there a little bit, but yeah. he still could have had another couple decades. Yeah. He lived a good life though. I mean, God, 60. He was talk, well, well, and talk about an exciting life. Yeah. Although I bet he probably wishes that it wasn't so exciting. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe not like having to move all the time. Yeah. Cool. And like 
being a target of Stalin, getting all those lusty, all those lusty letters from him. (laughs) Minor details, minor details. (laughs) I I, I just imagine him like getting his mail. He's like, what are all of these like really graphically sexual letters I'm getting in Russian? And it has no return address. He's like, oh, Stalin. Oh, Stalin. <laughs> you devil. <laughs> you, you horny devil, you <laughs> Now, meanwhile, uh, more drama was unfolding with the assassin. So the girlfriend, Egelhoff, thought that her boyfriend was really a Belgian named Jacques Mornard. But it turns out that he had been lying to her the whole time that they had been dating for like two years. Wow. If this had been uh, 40 years earlier, they would have been married by then. Literally for like a year and a half. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Six months maybe. Oh my gosh. So their relationship had been a Stalinist ruse that was years in the making. His his real name was Ramon uh, Mercada. Mercada? No. Ramon Mercada. That's what I'm going to say. That's what I'm going with. Okay. And he was a Spanish communist recruited by Soviet intelligence during the Spanish Civil War. He had spent two years getting close to Agalov and orchestrating their eventual move to Mexico City to get close to Trotsky and earn his trust. Jeez. Talk about a long con, right? Literally. That's a mission. Yeah. (laughs) Just imagine where where you know, his girlfriend is like, oh, like, we should uh, you know, have sex and then he'd be like yeah yeah we'll get to that and he'd meanwhile he's like got his binoculars and like looking at Trotsky seriously he's like can we go visit your friend again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like red flag if your boyfriend wants to like constantly hang out with a specific other friend you should you should maybe look into that yeah she was she was a little naive I think yeah. <laughs> So Mexican authorities uh, obviously arrested Mercader and uh, and sentenced him to 20 years in prison for the murder. And uh, while the Soviet government never like officially admitted responsibility for the killing, he did receive the Hero of the Soviet Union Award in 1960 oh. upon his release. Oh. And his mother was also given the order of Lenin. So like after this happened, his mom was given like, it's like one of the highest honors you could get in the Soviet Union. Wow. Yeah. Um, So after he was released from prison in 1960, he spent the rest of his life um, going between Cuba and the Soviet Union until he died in 1978. So he got another like 18 years after his prison time and he got like this major award and got to, I'm sure he got to spend winters in Cuba, which I'm sure would be really nice. Yeah. What a hard life. (laughs) Jeez. Now the famous axe that killed Trotsky has a little bit of an interesting life of its own. 
And uh, that is that the Mexican police department kept the axe as evidence in the assassination and later put it on display in a museum. Now, when the museum director retired in the, in the 1960s, he received the axe as a retirement gift. Oh. Like, talk about a weird retirement present. Like <laughs> just have that on your desk at home. Be like, what is this axe? Be like, oh, that's just the murder weapon that killed Trotsky. <laughs> have I got a story for yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, how cool that'd be if you retired from a museum and they just like gave you your fate, like uh, like either your favorite piece from the museum or just like a piece that you really liked. Oh my God, that's like goals for you right there. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> I, let, let me go to school for like being a museum director and then like become a museum director and then be like, that Picasso over there, that's going to yes. be mine when I retire. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but instead of a Picasso, it's an axe. It's an axe. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and then, um, so after that, the, for about 40 years, the axe was in the possession of the director's daughter and was stored under her bed. Like, you know, why wouldn't you put that on display or something like that? Why are you hiding it? Yeah. What's, oh, maybe she was scared. Maybe she was like, it's cursed. May, maybe. And like, but I like, for some reason I can't part with it. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, it was eventually acquired by espionage historian and collector Keith Melton. And in 2017, it was donated to the international spy museum in Washington, DC and can now be seen in the museum's lethal action exhibit. That's so, pretty cool. That's really cool that you can just like go to a museum now and see it. Yeah. And, and I really want to go see the spy museum. I have, I, out of all the times that I've been to DC, I've never gotten around to going there. I mean, I guess, cause it's not part of the Smithsonian. Like mm. I'm sure that you have to pay to go see it, but yeah. I'd check it out. Yeah, definitely. Maybe next and that time. dude was definitely a spy. Like he was undercover for two full years. Like yeah, that takes a lot life. of commitment. Yeah, and I can't imagine. Like, how do you go back to living a normal life after that? Oh, I have no idea. I don't know. He he seems like he did pretty well with the right? traveling back to Cuba, and <laughs> he yeah. wasn't really. I don't know. It might not have been too hard for him. <laughs> he got awards and whatnot i think prison probably damaged him more than right 20 than years living of... undercover for two years yeah <laughs> 20 years in a mexican prison does not sound like fun and yeah and i think also in some circumstances that could probably do you in you know <laughs> yeah you, you, you better lay in. lay pretty keep your head down in that in there for the two decades that you're there Seriously. Also, you like missed out on a really cool part of history. Like, yeah, get, like imagine, especially as being a Russian, or well, as as being like working for the Russian government. Like, you missed out on a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh well, hope it was worth it. Yeah, exactly. Well, let me cite my sources here real quick. Um, the main sources that I used were the spymuseum.org, history.com, and biography.com always good sources so there we go there is our mini sewed 
of about the assassination of Trotsky. Trotsky. Yeah. Damn. Wow. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for listening. That was that was definitely a lot of fun. And I had such a good time. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, thank you all for listening. I hope you had as much fun listening to us as we had recording it. <laughs> and do you want to do our, our usual send off the bye or do you never get to the end there? I maybe, I, 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 maybe I don't listen. Just go all the way right to the, to the, we just go right <laughs> to the next thing. So at the end yeah. of the at the end of F- of the of every episode. Oh no! Wait, you go bye. Yeah. So you yeah, get to do that's it. That's what time. you were talking about. Oh, okay, yes. okay. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, thank you all for listening, and until next time. Bye. bye. <laughs> Didn't that feel good? So good. <laughs>